Warning, this podcast is known by the state of California to contain spoilers. People of Earth, a round of drinks for everyone on me. Do you really think the world's going to end? Yes. Shouldn't we lie down or put paper bag over our heads or something? Oh, if you'd like. Will it help? Not at all. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise, one movie at a time. I'm Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is William Thrasher. How y'all doing? And we're wrapping up our look at Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with the live-action film from 2005, directed by Garth Jennings, screenplay by the late Douglas Adams and Kerry Kirkpatrick, based on the novel by Douglas Adams. Starring Martin Freeman, Sam Rockwell, Mostef, Zoe Deschanel, Bill Nye, Alan Rickman, Anna Chancellor, John Malkovich, with narration by Stephen Fry as the book, music by Joe B. Talbot, cinematographer Igor Jadulilo, and, um, you know, off a budget of around $50 million, it made a worldwide uh, box office of 104 But you think, oh, that's not bad, but then consider that usually the the uh, marketing can cost as much, if not more, than the film itself. Not that and... this was necessarily vigorously marketed. I mean, it was marketed, but it was not a media blitz. Right. This movie was not the Harry Potter numbers they wanted, or whatever it is they were expecting. Yeah, there. this whole thing does kind of smell like we want another British franchise. It doesn't, it? yeah. Um, you know, several... Director, this has a long tortured production history, and oh um, yeah, well th- this movie was in development well, almost perpetually after the first book came out. <laughs> right. Um, so let's, uh, if you want to hear us talk about the BBC series, check our our last uh, most two episodes. episodes. Yeah, at sequelcast two dot um, Right, and so let's let's go into that production history a little bit. Um, as far as I was aware, the first director. Uh, Douglas Adams tried to get for it to do it as a movie was um, Ivan Reitman who directed Ghostbusters oh yes and they were they were pitching around an idea with uh, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd in it and stuff and um, Ivan Reitman never got the script he didn't think it was funny so in fact it got to the point with the development where Douglas Adams moved his entire family including his child to the Los Angeles area to help get the movie made. You know, so, so you talk about the, the long and tortured history of this. Do you know at one point uh, this movie was going to be done with all puppets produced by the Spitting Image studio? I never heard that one, no. At, at one point in the 80s, that was the form that this movie was going to take. Hmm. I think, yeah, and it's, um, it's tricky because it's a science fiction comedy, right? There's a lot of effects. And so it's not, 
It's going well, to cost like, some money, no matter how you do it. Well, there's really only, like, up to this point, there'd really only been one good science fiction uh, comedy film, and that was Galaxy Quest. Well, science fiction, I should say space opera film, and that was Galaxy Quest. Uh, Back to the Future is, of course, brilliant. Some people would argue Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, is a space opera comedy film. D- but Don't you mean Star Trek IV? Intentionally? Well, intentionally, then we'll say four, but unintentionally, five. Okay. Has has a quite a lot of moments there. Um, and yeah, and so when this finally, it it took Douglas Adams to die for the movie to happen to get a kick in the pants. The last uh, before they had to cut the budget and stuff, uh, the director that was attached was. I can't remember the guy's name. I'm such a good researcher. Jay Roach, the director of the Austin Powers movies. Hmm. And uh, Zephyr Beale Brox was going to be played by Jim Carrey. Wow. Yeah, that would have been something, wouldn't it? Although he might have been he might have been good. I think so. Jim Carrey can do a good performance when he, he really feels the material. Um, he could have given each head very distinct facial expressions and personalities. Right, and you know, but Jim Carrey's expensive, and they were trying to get the budget down, which I think in this case is wise to keep the budget down because this is a very British science fiction story, that's um, you know famous in the UK and it's a cult classic, I suppose. But it's not, it's perpetual not something bestseller. Uh, perpetual bestseller, of course, but it, it's it's still kind of a, a risk, right? It's not it's not a sure thing like Harry Potter. Well, I mean, I, I, although I think that's in part because, you know, the books the books are very few and far between, whereas with Harry Potter, what, you were getting a new book, like, every year and a half or so? Uh, that That's about right, yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I, I remember uh, going into a bookstore once and um, in the science fiction section and seeing two... Uh, two girls and one was excitingly whispering to the other one explaining what hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy was (laughs) you know i think if you're a certain kind of nerd it's almost a rite of passage to read this book oh yeah i mean there's a there's a reason why it has an important place and in a lot of our hearts and minds even if that even if it's difficult to communicate that speaking of which let's talk about uh, the first time we saw this film was together in college yes it was and for me, it was a bittersweet experience because the, my girlfriend at the time, I didn't think she wanted to come, and then she came at the last second. Oh, I know she didn't want to come. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then uh, she sort of came at the last second, and then she started um, flirting a lot with one of our friends and then left me for him. So oh, yeah. That, that's, and not that, you know... I. The relationship with her was not going to work out anyway for uh, various other reasons, but that was, that unfortunately is the first thing that comes into my mind every time I think <laughs> of this movie. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a weird, it's a weird association to have, but at the same time, I'm really glad we got to see this together. This this yes. makes this kind of a rare, a rare thing for this podcast, or a film <laughs> yeah, that we saw that together sure. physically during, during opening, opening showings. And it, um, I'll admit, I got I got teary eyed in the beginning where it played the music from the radio show and the TV series, and, and the the title comes on. And uh, I I will I had the opposite reaction. Oh, you started to slightly vomit. 
Well, I guess I guess this this is I I, I will probably be saying variations on this a, a, a lot. This is a perfectly competent adaptation of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. However, it is far from great, and one of the main reasons uh, it isn't good is that it refuses to stand on its own. It keeps clutching to earlier adaptations in a way that holds this movie back. And yet it has some new characters, completely new scenes, completely different motivations. It can't decide, you know, had it just been a literal um, adaptation, a more faithful adaptation of the novel... It, it would have been a very slight movie. You get the feeling, and Douglas Adams was responsible for a lot of the major changes in this movie. You can't blame it all on Cary Kirkpatrick. But it's like, oh, we have to have sort of a, an actual villain in the movie. Oh, we need to put more action in the movie. Um, oh, we have to make you feel sympathetic for Zaphod. We have to explain everything. Um, that all being said, the, the opening musical number, Solana Thanks for All the Fish, is uh, delightful, if not confusing. I imagine if you had walked into this movie not knowing what Hitchhikers is and seen that intro, you might have walked out. I, I actually found the the opposite of the people. The people I know who have watched this film, but this is their only exposure to Hitchhikers. This is their favorite part. Really, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, because I, I would think it would be confusing. Well, it's a big, dumb, cheap joke that doesn't need to be there. I think one of the strengths of, of Hitchhikers is that it starts from a very boring, very mundane place, but to start mm. it with a musical number starring dolphins, which aren't <laughs> even CGI dolphins, it's just B-roll no. of dolphins <laughs> in different amusement parks. It yeah, the director didn't even... Yeah, it's all second unit footage. It seems like a Family Guy joke. An early Family Guy joke. I especially like the one that's a small child's voice. If I could have just one wish, I would like a tasty fish. <laughs> Very Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> oh, yeah, Andrew Lloyd Webber by way of, um... Oh, God, what's that show? The comedy Bane Bang. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it's... Musical, comma, theater... I'm writing a musical now. In my yeah, dreams. Uh, but let's not plagiarize Paul F. Tompkins any further. No. Um, it's. I mean, yeah, the changes in this are really weird. And I, I for research, I watched a, a YouTube video by this fella who does a, a, a good series. I'll look up the guy's name um, in a minute here. But he it was is a British guy, and he really was offended by um, how a lot of characters that are very clearly British in the original are played by Americans here. Huh. Really? Yeah. Uh, especially, he said, Ford Prefect is such a British character and being played by most deaf, he really didn't care for. Well, see, I, I, I disagree with that. I don't think that Ford Prefect is, is, is quintessentially British, certainly not in the way that Arthur Dent is. Mm. I think Moss Def was was I was skeptical, but I think Moss Def was right for the role. I mean, he has this kind of cheerful alienness about him. Yeah, he he gets better, I think, as he goes on. Um, and Martin Freeman, you know, this he had long been a fan favorite to play 
um, Arthur Dent. Perfectly cast. Yeah, quite good. It should be noted this is before he did The Hobbit, before he did... Um, well, this what, was after like, The Office, though. Yeah, after after the UK Office, before The Hobbit, before... Oh, what was... Sherlock. Was it Captain America Civil War? He was in that. Oh, um, yeah. In a small part. And yeah, Sherlock, of course, playing Watson. Yeah, before he really took off, and he thought this was... I, I'm sure they made the main actors sign three-picture deals. Um, not that, <laughs> not that we got a sequel... Not that we got a sequel to this, but... Um, but Sam Rockwell, I do not like in this picture. And sometimes I think he's quite good in movies. But here, it just seems... He even jokes, I think, on one of the interviews in the DVD, I'm who you hire when you can't when you can no longer afford Jim Carrey. Well, I w- well, you know, it's funny. Like, I look look at that and... Uh, oh, shit. Who's the all right, all right, all right guy? I can only keep three celebrity Matthew heads McConaughey. in my Pardon? Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. I, f- I feel like Matthew McConaughey is who they wanted for this role. The oh, Zaphod, yeah. The Zaphod in this film frustrates me to no end, and for two for two main reasons. One, he's doing a bad George W. Bush w. impression, Bush. Sure. which really, really dates this movie and is mm-hmm. really embarrassing in hindsight, given the legacy of that administration. And then two, finally, finally, we have the both the special effects technology and the budget to do a cool-looking, two-headed Zaphod Beeblebrox, and oh they do God. the biggest fucking cheat mm. combined with completely unnecessary exposition to justify him having just one head. Yeah, instead his neck sort of extends and his second head pops out. Like, yeah, yeah, he, he underwent a foolish. surgical procedure to have all of his quote-unquote non-presidential traits put into a fake second head, which is then put into his neck that occasionally jumps up and says something embarrassing, which, okay, if those were the non-presidential traits, what were the presidential traits? I mean, the books never even went into that great detail about him being president. It just was more of a, a, a joke. Well, yeah, well, and, and also and this, part this, of his scheme, because the only reason he became president was to steal the heart of gold. This, right, to steal the ship, but it's... Um, they, they just over-explain things too much. On the other hand, I think some of the original stuff is good. You get a, a bit about Vogon paperwork, which is inspired by a throwaway line uh, about the... Um, the know, Vogons the being officious. Beast of Troll, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I love what they did with the Vogons. The Vogons are one of the best executed things in this film. Right. It, it's a practical effect. They're extremely ugly. And They're big gross. old Henson creatures. And I'll give uh, the director Garth Jennings credit. The action in this movie like looks pretty good. Yeah. Well, the other thing I love is that there's so much like world building and storytelling in the design. Like I love that I love that the mm. Vogon spaceships are giant oblong shapes, and I love that everything in the spaceship is at a right angle. Even when it doesn't make any engineering sense to have it, like all the pipes have are at right angles, <laughs> and that's a horrible design for a pipe, but it fits their their callous and officious nature. Uh, we've talked about some of the main characters. What about Zoe Deschanel as uh, Trisha McMillan? She's she's adequate. I think she's fine. I, I I think she's better than who they used in the BBC series. Well, you know, she she plays it very straight. Mm-hmm. To, to the point where it's almost like nobody knows what movie she's in. Yeah, in and books... she gets a nice moment with the emotion. Listeners, you might be confused because we're hopping all over the place. I, I guess we, we spent two other episodes already recounting the sure. story. 
Yeah, so, so, so if, if you're confused, go back, listen to the first two episodes yeah. on Hitchhikers. Um, so we already know the story, so we're just talking about execution right now. Right, and what's different. Uh, Warwick Davis was the man in the suit for Marvin the Paranoid Android. Much like cool the original choice. Darth Vader, he was expecting his real voice to be used. But instead we and, got Alan Rickman. Yep. And um, Alan Rickman is fine. I, th- I find him a bit difficult to understand. Well, I think they over-process his voice. You're right. I think that's it. Um, Bill Nye, I think, is an excellent slarty Bartfast. Yeah, he did a good job. Like, I, th- I think most of the casting choices uh, in, in this in this this film are, are, are right. I really don't what, have anything yeah. negative to say about the casting. What about the big, um, you know, new character uh, played by John Malkovich, Huma Kavula? He's he's unnecessary. So in Restaurant at the End of the Universe, there's this guide entry about what diff- how different relig- religions perceive the beginning and the ending of time. And there's this one race of aliens that believe that the entire universe was sneezed out of the nose of a creature called the Great Green Arkel Seizure, and they live in fear of a dark time called the coming of the Great White Handkerchief. And that's a great, fun, throwaway guide entry, but actually depicting that religion in a very literal fashion and then having its like leader is a villain is completely, it's completely unnecessary. Especially if you wanted to have a villain... You could just make the Vogons a villain. Right. Because yeah. one, they, they did do that in one of the later Hitchhiker's novels when it revealed that the Vogons were hired by a group of psychiatrists who knew about Earth and didn't want people to know the meaning of life and the question. But you could just, all you, since they're so officious, you just have to say, oh, well, they were contracted to demolish the Earth. That means demolishing everything that's on it. So the job's not done if there's a human alive and that's why they're after Arthur Dent. Sure. And not only that, that. you could have at the end, instead of the the police trying to attack um, the heroes, you could have Vogons, you know, doing it instead. They tracked him down to Magrathea. And and, and even, even then, you know, you've got a stolen starship and police go after them in the books. Why not? Why not use that to raise the stakes? Yeah, police and the Vogons. After and, him, and then sure. also just like stealing Zaphod's secondary head and putting it on a bobblehead, which it didn't seem like Zaphod was all that attached to that second head in, in literally and figuratively. So why why does that raise the stakes? Why do, do does he or anyone else care about that whole second head thing? Oh, so this movie, I think, starts off pretty good. It's pretty, at the beginning... It's a relatively faithful version of, you know, how we know how this story goes with Earth getting destroyed. Yeah, and we, and, you know, I do, I do like, I do like Stephen Fry. He's, he's, uh, as the voice of the book, he's a very, he's a very comforting, but quintessentially British choice. I am glad they, they went with him. I wish, I wish they took the animation for the guide yeah. entries farther. It just looks so, so rudimentary. It looks like a college, you had college students do it. It looks like. A, a simple flash animation it's too well it's it's just visuals yeah, that flat. literally depict what the book is describing like it doesn't look like an information interface it doesn't look like the animation is trying to communicate to different aliens with different cultures that's right and 
and it and it doesn't really have any like in jokes in it. That's one of the things I loved about the about the previous the BBC adaptation. There's lots of jokes that exist only in the animation for the Hitchhiker's Guide, but there's no subtext to these guide entries. There's just what you see on screen. There's no added comedy value. The uh, the the DVD and Blu-ray of this has some deleted scenes, uh, a few of oh. which are guide sequences. Cool, including the one about. Um, God being proven that he doesn't exist. Oh, that's one of my favorites. Right, which Douglas Adams was an atheist and uh, wasn't shy about it. Let's just put it that way. So it, it that's sort of a shame. Some of those more famous sequences were cut. The, the movie could have used a bit more guide entries, I think. And it runs 109 minutes, which I think is a bit long. Huh. And, and yet it feels like short compared to our bloated franchise blockbusters today. Oh, doesn't it? it? I mean, well, it didn't feel yeah. long to me. I will say that when I when when I've seen this, it doesn't feel long. It doesn't feel long, but usually I'm used to comedies being a bit shorter, and mm. and they add so much material, like the Huma Kavula and the um, uh, the paperwork stuff, and y- the, you have the thing the, where they the, go the, back and meet the principal cast meets Deep Thought. Yeah, they add a lot of new material to sort of thicken up the stew that is the story and um I, i'm not sure all that was was needed part of the the first book i think which makes it good is it it's a simple clean direct story and you have a lot of crazy stuff happening into it but the through the through line is is quite simple yeah now there so i mentioned early on that this this adaptation leans too heavily on earlier adaptations and one one of the ways is with like the forced the the forced cameos. Like I, I have no problem with having cameos from people who have appeared in earlier adaptations, but every time someone, particularly was it was it uh, Peter Terry Jones or Simon Jones? Si- Simon Jones. Yeah, when Simon yes. Jones show up, it's like get ready for a cameo. Here's the cameo. Wasn't that a great cameo? Like it's yeah. It's, it, the the one I did like is at the end where they go to the rest they fly off to the restaurant at the end of the universe and you see the improbability drive one of the things it morphs into is Douglas Adams's face yeah and and I remember I remember a lot of people in the in the audience going like mumbling stuff who the hell is that face was that a special effects guy right and I saw it and I was like what <laughs> I, I was just sort of like there's, there's a different way they could have incorporated douglas adams in there well i will i will say uh this uh i think the way they depict the infinite improbability drive is amazing and a vast improvement over the previous adaptation oh sure where you they do um like yarn animation god that's great yeah when they're all yarn creations and one of them vomits vomits yeah (laughs) i do like the vomiting scene um oh yeah i i have to say the look of marvin the paranoid android is not as inspired as in the BBC series. In the BBC series, he looks like a classic, uh, like nineteen fifties toy. Or um, and this, he looks like he's designed by Apple. Well, the thing, the thing about the design, I think that makes it unsuccessful. Overall, it's a strong design. What kills it is his face because you don't know what you're looking at. When you look at Marvin's mm. face, because it's just a real rudimentary line with two triangles, you can't tell whether you're looking at eyes, a nose, or a mouth. 
it's an uncanny valley thing. You don't know what you're yeah. supposed to be looking at. They should have, they should have made it. They should have either not made it look like a face at all, or made it look so much like a face you could tell where the eyes, nose, and mouth were. Or do something with the animation with the eye. Yeah, it's um, I never thought of it, but you're right because otherwise it just looks sort of like a futuristic lamp or something. It's. Uh, I, I think the, you know, the shuffling, it, it, it's a cute look, which I don't know if Marvin's supposed to be cute. Well, the thing, well, well, keep in mind, he's a product of the serious cybernetics corporation. Like, I think it makes sense that he looks kind of like an adorable Apple product, but he still has this def- this personality prototype. I, I think I think it only helps make Marvin more of a wonderfully depressed character by having him look adorable, but have and, the and- bleakest outlook on life. Yeah, and and uh, it's nice they used practical effects when possible in this film. Um, you can really yeah. tell with the the Vogon costumes that they're not CG Vogons, at least not for the most part, to my eyes, uh, oh. running around. I think they use some like digital like trickery to like double up a lot of the Vogons during the crowd sequences. But oh, other, yes, other but than that, they're practical the animatronics, right. and I love that they're all voiced by the uh, performers, the League of Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. It's a great touch. Oh, so you you mentioned the point of view gun earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. That that's one of the parts of this movie that I'm the most ambivalent about. Because on the one hand, that is a quintessentially Douglas Adams like concept, a weapon mm-hmm. where all it does is give you a complete understanding of the person who's firing the weapon at you. That's yeah. really smart, and I love the way that it plays out in the plot when Marvin shoots it at the Fogon army and completely disabling them. Um, mm. And yet at the same time, you get that awful trillion line where, you know, it's like, where, where it's just like, you know, you don't need to use that on me. I'm already a woman. That, it that, that does not sound like something Douglas Adams would have ever wrote. It's, it's, yeah. it's what I call, it's what I call in, in, in hack screenwriting, the chick line. Where and which is what happens when a screenwriter who does not know how to write decent female characters and has no intention of writing decent female characters tries to get the women in the audience on their side by giving the female lead what sounds like an empowering line, but is in fact a line that simply says, I am a woman. You know, a prime a prime example would be in the Pirates, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, where the female lead says, "You like pain? Try wearing a corset." What about the line in Return of the King where she says, "Like I am no man"? Is it, they, uh... Uh, isn't that from the book though? Yes, I th- I think I think that works because it's turn it's turning the the enemy's words uh, against them. One of the things that I think typifies the chick line is that it sort of exists in a vacuum. I see. Doesn't come from anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. But it takes you out of the movie. Yeah, that that as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I I like the gun thing. You're right. Is a neat Douglas Adams idea, and in fact, it was confirmed he was the one that introduced that just for the movie and the script. Um, also, it it's nice that it gives Trisha more business to do because she doesn't have a lot to do in that first book. I, I mean, I, really, I she doesn't have a lot to what? Uh, no, I can I can agree with that. It's it's yeah. nice. It is nice to give her more to do. I mean, really, they don't give her a lot to do until the mostly harmless. 
It's just, it's just it's it's not her use of it that bothers me. It's just that that such a weak line. Yeah, and it's you know you're you're they're clearly trying to do in screenwriting. They um, there's a notion where characters should have arcs, where by the end of the movie they've grown into a different person for better or worse than they were at the beginning of the movie. They learn some sort of lesson, which doesn't really work for for British comedy because British comedy celebrates no. the mundane and the grotesque, and. The Hitchhiker's characters never change. That's part of their charm. Right. Uh, you know, Arthur Dent's forever in his bathrobe. It's, it's just one of those things. And, um, yeah, it's just, you feel sort of like the studio notes all over it at, at certain points, but especially then. It. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, near the end they go to, uh, they travel and, and visit Deep Thought. And how do you feel they, they handle that with the mice and, and so forth? I, I liked I like the look of Deep Thought. I liked it. I like the the sort of bored British woman voice that it has. And I and I kind of like that Deep Thought in Deep Thought's retirement, she just watches old cartoons. Although I wish they, I wish they could have put something better on the screen. It's just like a loop of like characters hitting each other with mallets or something like that like douglas adams did write for animation they could have like that tv could have had clips of dr snuggles that would have been fun yeah it was helen mirren was the voice of deep thought um it's an interesting way to do i i do like you get um one of the better effects in the film i think is when slarty bart first takes arthur and shows him a tour of the, the planets under construction. Oh, the factory floor. Yeah, that is yeah. gorgeous. Amazing vistas. I would love to see what that would look like in 3D. I also mm, love that bit mm. where they're, they're not, like, taking a flying machine. It is a construction crane. And, like, new things are built for that construction crane to be mounted to as it travels. It's really amazing. It's amazing. It's inspiring. It's touching for some reason. It's, um... I like that we get a cameo from Douglas Adams' uh, late wife and daughter in When Earth is Being Destroyed. They're one of the people that look up. Oh, yes. You'd really have to know it to, to pick up on that. But it was well, I mean, nice, we, uh, we didn't talk about this, but like the Douglas Adams uh, cameos, uh, there were several in the, uh, in the previous, uh, in the BBC adaptation, including mm-hmm. guide entries and also full nude Douglas Adams. So like... Walking into the beach. Yeah. You're not used. You're not prepared to see a subtle Douglas Adams cameo, even though he's dead and couldn't film one. Uh, you know, in this film, I almost would have rather seen a cameo, kind of like what they did in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, where they have a bust of him, and it's just not really paid attention to. Huh. That would have been interesting. Where it's subtle. It's a physical prop. You wouldn't have like some like obvious line of dialogue where Arthur Dent touches it and it's like, ah, yes, that's my father. You know? Although at the same time, I do I do like the effect of the heart of gold turning into Douglas Adams' head. That is kind of wonderfully absurd and improbable. It's, it's in fitting uh, with the, the themes that that ship and its drive represent. Although, God, that last, that whole last exchange where they're like, well, what are we going to do now? Well, I'm kind of hungry. Well, I know a great restaurant that is such like that that for as someone who's read the books that was such a groaner to me isn't that how the books end isn't that how the first book ends more or less 
Uh, it, it ends very abruptly. No, it does. It does end very abruptly, but it's like it doesn't end on like a big honking sequel setup line. Not, sure. not that like we're hungry. Let's go to a restaurant. That's not much of a sequel setup. No, I don't. It just it see it seems so winky. That was a big turnoff. I, I I wish that wasn't the last line. This movie proves that perhaps making this into trying to make this a, a failed launch of a movie franchise was a poor idea. I I, I do think television and as a miniseries is a is a good is a better way to go about it. And, well, um, well, it gives you more time to do all the asides that really are the bread and butter uh, of the Hitchhikers. Oh yes, yeah, right. I mean, the not that the main plots are incidental, but it's all the fun little nooks and crannies, the guide entries that are some of the best. Uh, wittiest material in there um and that being said I, it does make me wonder with this show had this been a blockbuster and had they made a sequel would it have been a straight adaptation of the second one would they have tried to combine the second and third books i i suspect it would have been a straight adaptation of the second one but they would have again they would have introduced a villain to try to tie everything tie everything together hmm and then I wonder if had they done a third book, uh, a Life, the Universe, and Everything movie, would they have changed it from cricket to golf? I don't know. I think they would have. I think they would have kept it as cricket. Hmm. So, uh, I'm looking at this poster for the movie, and it's it's horrendous. It it's it's like, photo. It's a Photoshop nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it looks like Arthur and Marvin are on an airplane runway. With their thumbs sticking out, but you can't really tell because they're so tiny in the distance. A big image of Earth, and then a huge title card. And the uh, the tagline, Don't Leave Earth Without It, is a real groaner. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They, they really should have put Don't Panic at the top. Although I do I do like the kind of the subtle gag that the title is too big to fit on the poster, which is why it's all catty-cornered. Mm-hmm. And I, the other thing I remember is that they really tried to force an icon on us. There was that that thumb in the rings of a planet that was that was all over the place. Ugh, yeah. Didn't didn't quite work. No, I mean they could have. I know Douglas Adams hates it, but I I do like the green smiling face logo. I've seen a lot of people with that as a tattoo. It's it's the it's the iconic image. It's it's yeah. You whether see he likes it or not, yeah. And you immediately know what you're getting into. I, w- I wish there was. I, I wish that that would have been a better that would have been a better option. Because <laughs> that looks mysterious. That that intrigues you. Well, what could this be? This green smiley face thing. Right, and um, gee, I think this is difficult to talk about because we've talked about like the first the BBC stuff in such detail. And admittedly, we're, we're also too about close the to the material. <laughs> I I would agree with that, right? It's um, you know, there's one Douglas Adams biographer that got so thought this movie was the biggest piece of shit, which I don't think it's unwatchable or anything. It's just a perfectly okay adaptation. Uh, there's an author that got so offended he basically like, um refuse to reread Douglas Adams ever again because he thought this movie was such an affront. Now that's that's weird that an adaptation turned you off so much you refused to read the original material that you fell in love with. That's a bizarre stance. It, yeah, I don't know. what I think he was trying to make a headline for himself um, around the time of the movie. But it's... 
Yeah, it, it's problematic. I think the, the effects are good, you know, considering the budget. You, you can't, it doesn't really look cheap. You can't tell it's a lower budget film. No, they're good. They hold up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you talk about another one of those cameos, like when Jason Schwartzman was on the screen as Gag Halfront. I just thought that was a bit, like, he's in every single, like, indie movie. That was just a bit too precious for me. Yeah, si- Simon Jones is the Magrathian uh, self-defense system. Oh, the original Marvin part of the original Marvin costume has uh, has a cameo in this movie. There's the line of aliens in at line. the Vogon at the yeah. Vogon bureaucrat's office, and and one of them is it's just Marvin's head with like a cloak for a body, which I guess means the body didn't exist and they didn't pay the money to fabricate a new one. It looks right. so weird because it also looks completely out of place because it doesn't match the the delightful production design of anything else in that line. And I I think as far as new segments go, that one is pretty funny where they wait in line and are told, oh, you filled the wrong form and you got to do this and that. And what's weird is we get almost the exact same scene, um, you know, 10 years later in the Wachowskis Jupiter Ascending movie. Huh. I still have not seen that. It's terrible, but it's a funny sort of terrible. I hope so. It, um, but yeah, there, there's like a five-minute paperwork sequence that's the most thrilling thing about the movie. It, it's done very much in the style of the, the Vogon uh, paperwork sequence, where they have to get the form signed in triplicate, and go to this person, go to that person. It, I mean, and, and, that, and the way it's portrayed in this film, it feels almost like you're watching a puzzle from the video game. Yep. I can totally, I can totally feel that. Anything else you want to say about this uh, 2005 picture? Well, I guess Hitchhiker's what, Guide to the Galaxy. Well, I guess what it is is this. So in the in the late 90s, a graph a three part graphic novel adaptation of Hitchhikers was published, which is really oh which, really which is I've really enjoyable. It. It's neat to oh, okay. see. It's neat to see all these things rendered on paper in a, in a unique way, uh, you know, with without any real you know budgetary limitations, but. When it came out, there was a short review published in uh, oh, in uh, Comic Shop News, this uh, this uh, industry com- comic publishing industry rag that is typically given out for free at comic shops. I'm not sure if it's still around. It's got to be though. Uh, and the cap the capsule review kind of began. Since since its uh, since its inception, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has been a radio play, a BBC miniseries, a stage play. A rock opera, a, a a text adventure game. Now we can add graphic novel to that list, and th- that's kind of how that's kind of what I'm left feeling with in this movie. We can now check off big budget American movie from the list of adaptations. Yeah, that's fair. Um, do you recommend our listeners track down that graphic novel? And if you if you can find it, yes, and I believe it, it, it was successful enough that they they adapted the following two uh, Hitchhikers novels, uh, and they they are really charming, and I I love I love the way they depict the Cricket Men from the third book. It's very well done. Oh, that's not huh? So I, I'm you know looking it up online, and on Amazon. Uh, in the United States, you can get the graphic novel of 
one of these, or it might just be the first issue of Life, the Universe, and Everything for under uh, $15 used. Well, that's not so bad. Yeah, I've still got my copies somewhere. I ought to dig them out and reread those. Oh, and I see the Cricket Men look a bit like the uh, the Doctor Who, uh, whatchamacallit. Shows you how much I care about Doctor Who. <laughs> um, gee. Who are the little metal, not, not the Daleks, who are the other... The Cybermen? Yes. Yeah, there's some of that some of that British Cybermen look to them. But I mean, they 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 were really fun. They were they were really fun adaptations. They never did the last uh, two books. Not not to my knowledge, no. And I I love that they gave Zaphod Beeblebrocks this kind of surfer dude look. Yeah, and the people uh, behind um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Garth Jennings, this was his directorial uh, feature debut, but he had done a lot of music videos for artists such as Fatboy Slim, um, R.E.M., The Eels, a lot of different, you know, sort of out there goofy videos. And since then, he recently directed a very successful uh, animated film last year called Sing. Oh, that made money. It did. It made, according to Box Office Mojo, $632 million off a $75 million budget. Okay. So it made, it's getting a sequel. I don't know if he's doing the sequel. But I actually found that a charming cartoon. Um, so why don't we go into, um, the, or before we go into what you're watching, any last thoughts about this uh, Hitchhiker's film? I, I suppose our only option, sequel yes and sequel no. Well, what do you think? Should we add a third option in there? Well, I feel like like sequel indifferent. Like this, as I said, it is a, this is a perfectly adequate adaptation of Hitchhikers, but that's kind of all it is. Your life won't be enriched if you see it, but your life won't be poorer if you don't see it. It's like a it hits, it hits a perfect middle. So you give it a sequel so so. Sequel so so. Yes, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Sequel so so. It does not matter to me either way whether or not you see this I'm writing film. that in my notes. <laughs> I, I would say this one is a, a sequel no. It, it's so disappointing in so many ways. I like some individual sequences. Uh, Martin Freeman's a, a very good Arthur Dent. Um, Stephen Fry is a fun narrator, but it just doesn't, you know, doesn't work. It's like, um, it's like a little kid uh, goes into five different puzzle boxes, combines it into one puzzle, and sort of jams the pieces in there and uses tape to get them to fit and says, look, daddy, I made a puzzle. And you're like, well, yes, you made a puzzle, but it's not what it's supposed to be. That's a very strange metaphor. I'll keep on going. Um, it's well mixed, though. Wow. Well, yeah. Um, pitch a sequel. You know, they never got to do a, a restaurant at the end of the universe sequel, but frankly, I'm not super crazy about a lot of this cast I would um, hell uh, because let's say you know this movie wasn't a hit right it wasn't a flop but it wasn't a, a blockbuster hit either I would say let's do Hitchhikers and um, make the sequel a cartoon huh. make it a um, traditional animation or 3D I would do it traditional animation, but have it look more like heavy metal. Oh, yeah. 
where it's that real loopy 70s animation with a bit a bit of the Ralph Bakshi grit to it not not as far as the rotoscope part but sort of the the sort of sexiness and scuzziness of the material I think I think you'd, you'd grit it up a bit and uh, and that would work too with some of the um, because with animation budgetary stuff basically it goes out the window if you can draw it you can see it I, I, that's an oversimplification there I'm sure I'm going to get animators complaining at me well you have, but, you have to take into account pencil mileage yes I you know it's not as bad as what Mike Meyer said on the Oscars when he was giving a speech for best sound effects he said also known as Mr. Beep Beep Boop Boop oh and which wow. the 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 sound whatever the sound designers guild got forced Mike Myers to issue an apology um, they then garbled his voice on the apologies audio track and that's why the sound mix is so bad in Love Guru no um anyway yeah I mean so that that's what I would do is I would adapt the second book probably keep some of the visual stylings from the movie of like how Marvin looks and, and some of those things. And I would give Zayfot two heads and give a convoluted reason for why that is. And I uh, just have a, a, a zany loopy seventies animation that I think would, would sell the story better and, and do it as a cartoon. Um, and that's, that's my pitch sequel thrasher. All right. So mine, I'm going to uh, pitch a prequel. I'm going to keep as much of this movie, uh, intact as possible and the movie the movie's going to begin with uh ford prefect uh leaving for earth to research his entry on for earth and the hijackers guide to the galaxy but it's not going to be about him because one of the people sending ford off is zaphod beeblebrox and my movie Hmm. is going to be all about zaphod beeblebrox's uh, campaign to become president of the galaxy uh, so it's going to be a it's going to be a delightful political satire. His political opponents are all going to be caricatures of different uh, American presidents and would be American presidents and different prime ministers and would be prime ministers. Uh, and we just see how he fails his way to the top. But the main reason I want to do this is very early on, he has the procedure where he puts his quote unquote unpresidential. Uh, traits into a second head, and he spends most of this movie with two heads that are always visible and always communicating. And it ends with him being it ends with him uh, being sworn into the office as president of the galaxy, and we all know that he's only there so that he can steal the heart of gold. So in fact, that'll be the big that'll be the big thing at the end is after he's sworn in. There's a great sort of mini heist where he steals the heart of gold with Trillian, and off they go on their adventure. Um, what would it be called? Uh, I would call it. Uh, oh, let me see. Uh, well, it's, I want to keep the naming convention of the book, so it wouldn't be called Hitchhikers Two. Um, it would be called the. It would be called Zaphod's Just This Guy. You know. Hmm. Using a quote. Oh yes, and as like the other books, and oh, and and as a gag, one of the one of the first things he does as president after he signed in on his way to the heart of gold to steal it is he casually signs the bill that authorizes the demolition of Earth. That, that's a cute touch. It would, uh, hmm, Intro- Yeah, I would never have thought to, to do a prequel in that manner, but that's that's an interesting concept, and uh, you could always use more political satire. You don't really get as much of those as uh, it deserves, aside from you know, new shows like the uh, Colbert la- or no, what is it? Last week tonight or whatever it is. What am I talking about? What you watching? What you watching? Um, what are you watching? 
I never thought you'd ask, Thrasher. <laughs> I gave a sh- sh- TV show a second chance. Oh? And because uh, I, I saw the pilot and I really didn't care for it. But everyone, uh, there was a recent episode people were going crazy about. And so I said, you know, I should watch season one, episode two. And I'm talking about Rick and Morty. Oh, cool. Have you ever yeah, seen the pilot it? may not be the best place to start on that. Yeah, I, I think, um, are you familiar with the show? Oh, I love the show. Okay, yeah. The pilot, I really, uh, and, and pilots are hard anyway, but w- w- as complicated as Rick and Morty uh, often gets with its themes and plots, it just was a really hard sell, and it just wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. I think visually it, it looks really unappealing. I still think it looks visually unappealing. Well, I think that's intentional. Uh, certainly. Um, but the, the second episode... It sort of combines a spoof of Inception with Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) And then you have a story of um, dogs gaining sentience. And what I loved is the dogs are in mechas, and each of the dogs has a different design mecha. It's like you have this fabulous attention to detail. Uh, Whether it's, you know, aliens or monsters they're fighting or or robots, it's uh, you can clear the design, the character designers are having a, a real love of the genre. And Rick, the scientist, you know, looks like sort of a punk rock version of uh, Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future. And uh, Morty, I find the more amusing character. He just, it's a exaggeration of Michael J. Fox's um, Marty McFly. Well, he's, he's, he has the most humanity. Yeah, I think Rick is just a piece of shit, really. I think that's part of what makes the show interesting. He's not... Oh, yeah. He is selfish. He is, um, and I have not seen the episode yet, but people say the Pickle Rick episode is something of legend. I have not seen that one yet. Uh, that one just aired pretty recently. Um, and then I also saw the other episode after that, Anatomy Park, which is a, a fun spoof of, of Disneyland. but And also, disaster movies. And disaster movies. But it, they, it goes into really dark areas, and then... You have this weird B story going on where the the grandparents of Marty are in a um, relationship with a younger uh, African American man, where he's uh, he's dicking his grandma while the grandpa watches while wearing a Superman costume. <laughs> while wearing often wearing a Superman costume, and like it, like it's very much a show where you're saying what the hell like every minute. I could see like rewatching episodes could be good to catch more of the details where you're not because it if anything, Rick and Morty is not predictable. Well the thing, one of the things I like about that is that like it is it is, you know, crazy and over the top, but at the same time, so much of that show is legitimate science fiction. Where they yeah, establish yeah, yeah. It, a premise and spin out logical consequences based on the sci fi premise. Right. One of the uh, co creators on it is um Dan Harmon and Justin yeah. Roiland from Channel101.com. Yeah. Is Justin Roiland also from Channel101? Yes, he did House of Cosby's. Oh, okay, that makes more sense now. Um, I, I did see an episode of Rick and Morty where they're watching, like, alternate dimension television. And it's, that's very much like Channel101. Oh, absolutely. With um, brother cops. They're cops that are brothers. Yeah, it's. But anyway, it, it, the show has won me over. Uh, also, I, um, in my new job, everyone in the office but me watches Game of Thrones, so I feel like I'm going to have to mainline that series at some point. 
Uh, it, it had nothing to do with me not liking Game of Thrones. It just was um, my wife couldn't get into it, and it was something I wanted to watch together with her, and I never I will, bothered. I'll say don't don't mainline it. I think you might burn yourself out on it real quick. Uh, like I, my my own experience, I feel like it's best not to watch more than three episodes in a week. Interesting. You know, I, I read uh, only the first book, and that first season is a very close adaptation. And I, I hear it kind of goes its own way, which I'm not a stick. I've never been a huge stickler for canon, um, so I'm fine with that. But my favorite characters from the first season were Littlefinger and um, what Tyrion, I think. Is that the guy's name? The dwarf. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, played by uh, by Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Also the uh, the younger sister that's being taught sword fighting. I I liked her. Um, Jon Snow is I, I find extremely boring. Well, he's the Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Except he has a scruffy beard and dark hair. Yeah. Uh, like a nerf herder. What have you been watching? All right. Well, I finally got through the rest of Glow. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I finished that a few weeks ago. Um, what do you think of it? I really enjoyed it. And I like mm-hmm. I like that it ended. I like that the end of the first season is them successfully filming the pilot uh, for their wrestling TV show than getting it on the air. I, I like that this show took its time. And uh, Mark Barron, who plays the director of the, the show, has grown into a, a good actor. He's not great, but he's gotten better than he was when his TV show started. Well, well he's playing kind of a world-weary, almost Marin-esque character. Yeah, it's well cast, certainly. You can see why they thought of him for the role. Um, I, I like some of the, the the dark plot reveals that you get yeah. later in the series. And uh, I did not like Orange is the New Black, which I only saw a few episodes of. And this is from the same people. But this one, I think because it's more comedic and the women wrestling angle. Uh, I mean, even uh, my wife, Havana, really got into this and she hates wrestling. But it's, it's because of the characters. And I think well, that... Oh, they really on. understand the medium of wrestling. They do. And the... Uh, they have some really choice music drops. Oh yeah, it's like one of like the 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 second to last episode. I think they have that training montage to uh, Dare from the Transformers soundtrack. Yes. Also, at the end of the first episode, it plays a, a slightly edited version of um, "Stir It Up" by Patti LaBelle, which is, I think, the first song you hear in Beverly Hills Cop. Or no, oh, yeah. they play it in Beverly Hills Cop when he gets to Beverly Hills. Yeah, they, they, they use the 80s to good comedic effect, but I do like that they don't shy away from the 80s darkness with the, the, the cocaine or, or, yes, or the uh, abortion subplot, which I'm sure they've announced there's going to be a second season. I know that's coming back. Uh, or uh, It'll have uh, to. I, or or yeah. that... Or that bit where it, where it turns out that the uh, the guy who owns the hotel that they all live in, he and his family were all uh, Russian Jews who came to America in like several like waves of refugee immigration, and you know they, there's that great scene where he takes her he he, he takes the, the female lead to to his uh, nephew's bar mitzvah. It's really cool. Yeah. Um... It, it's also been interesting reading online the reaction of the real uh, members of Glow. Oh, I, I, I'm sure I knew that they had reacted. I hadn't followed any of that. They're uh, <laughs> quite upset with it. 
Oh, really? I think partially, well, because it's not officially based on the real people, they didn't get paid. I mean, so that's oh, it's one highly thing, right? fictionalized. Yeah. Oh, exactly, right? So I think they're upset on, on that financial matter, but it, although they don't outright say it, that's my feelings. But they also say like, oh, the 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 guy that was in charge of her show, he never did drugs on set. He never yelled at people. He never. They made him really negative. And I thought like, I mean, Mark Maron's character in the show is kind of a dick but i don't think he's a bad person no no not at all he, he's a man with a vision that um he has to compromise for you know reasons but it's he he, he gets a bit of his comeuppance and it, there's a, a subplot i'm dancing around it is because it's a big spoiler um where he has to apologize to a character that mm. i think is, is done really well um yeah so i'm excited with the uh, if you want some fun, uh, look on YouTube and look up old episodes of Glow because they really do do that rap or, or something very close to it with the characters. Yeah. I mean, that, I just cringe, but on the other hand, like, that's like note for note, like what so many little kid programs did. Or, or even artists. I mean, think of, you know, the Monster Mash. They did a monster rap version. The yeah, monster yeah. rap version is actually quite good. I will defend uh. that version. <laughs> that, But that being said... I mean, it, it is the 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 rapping on glow is the lamest kind of white rapping there I, is. But that's so, but that so being funny. said, it's still very fun. But yeah. without lame white rapping, we would never know who people were or what they were here to communicate. When I think of lame lame white uh, rapping, I think of the uh, infamous Fruity Pebbles commercial, <laughs> which is actually where that where that trope originated. Is it? Um, but they're, yeah. but the way they yes, dress, that, they're that referencing... That is the first use of my name is blank and I'm here to say. Yeah. My na- I, I can't do a Fred. Uh, can Bonnie! You do a, can you do it? My name is Fred and I'm here to say I like Fruity Pebbles in a major way. Well, actually, uh, he's not the one who started. It's Barney disguised as the master rapper. I'm the master rapper, and I'm here to say oh, I right. love Fruity Pebbles, Fruity Pebbles in, a in a major way. way. He loves Fruity Pebbles in a major way. Body. That's a rep. That's a rep. <laughs> I, it? I said rep. <laughs> oh, Fred, how you doing, Fred, old buddy, old pal? That, that didn't even. That, I don't know what. Bonnie, that your addiction is taking a toll on our friendship. This is an intervention. My wife can make my addiction grow three times. That's not even Barney. I'm gonna <laughs> stop it. That wasn't even McGilla Gorilla. No, that was. It turned into a halfway Danny the Dragon imitation, which is... Um, oh, the less story. we talk about that, the better. Maybe that'll be something on our Patreon. Maybe we'll do a special episode where, for just for Patreons where we explain Danny the Dragon. Yeah, keep keep them wondering. Um, this has been a strange episode. <laughs> so, you can follow me on Twitter, at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me, at Internet Mayor. Follow the show at SequelCast2. Uh, like us on Facebook, just search SequelCast2. Write a review on iTunes for us. That would help us uh, get more downloads. Um, go to iTunes, look up um, SequelCast2, and leave a review on there. And um, tell all your friends to listen to SequelCast2. Don't, don't just tell. Demand. Threaten to never speak to them again unless they listen. In, in fact, next time you go on a, a somewhat lengthy car ride to visit relatives... Slip in an episode of Sequel Cast 2 without warning and say, hmm, this show's really good. Ha <laughs> ha. And laugh at all the jokes because you've listened to it before to prep yourself. The miles just fly by.
Sometimes I do listen to myself when I drive to work. That's quite strange. Well, actually, but, um, my my prep my prep for every episode of the sequel cast is I listen to the previous episode because I wanna I wanna hear how we do and I wanna think of ways to do it better. Whenever I do that, I know I'm like, hmm, these pauses are longer than I thought. <laughs> but that's because I do a very light touch with the editing. Um, uh, you think the, the audio thing. editor you're using would have like a pause, pause extractor? Although actually, you could just sample. You could sample some dead air and then just tell it to remove that. You can, but then if depending on the um, sensitivity, Look. the listeners no, must true. love this segment. Um, depending on the sensitivity, it w- would strip out like pauses in the middle of words, and well, yeah, that's I, good. Good point. You got to be careful about it. Um, this this has said. been sequel uh, sausages. Sequel sausages. Um, yeah. So for yeah, what the hell is this ending of this episode? For sequel cast two, this is Matt. <laughs> this is Thrasher. Saying the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a wholly remarkable book. Oh no, you know what? No, so long and thanks for all the fish. Despite those nets of tuna feats, we thought that most of you were sweet, especially tiny tops and your pregnant women. So long, so long, so long, so long, so long. The bed rock, yellow, orange, purple, lime, and red. But to get the fruity taste, I got a trick, Fred. Fruit of Rudy! To get the fruity taste, he's got a trick, Fred! Sequelcast 2 is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Find other great film and TV podcasts at battleshippretension.com. The theme song to Sequelcast 2 is written and performed by Mark with the Sea. Listen to his music at markwiththesea.com. You can also listen to Sequelcast 2 on the go at Stitcher. Head on over to Stitcher.com and search for SequelCast 2 to give it a listen. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.